Welcome to Keeping Receipts, a podcast focusing on freelance life, creativity, and their impact on our mental health. I'm Beth, a voiceover artist and sound editor living in Norwich. Regular listeners will know I usually host this with my life and style guru, Rose, who is maker of stamps and currently feeder of baby. Keeping her seat warm while she's on maternity leave will be a different creative freelancer every month. And for this episode, I'm speaking to Fanula Kennedy, a performance artist and musician from London. This episode, we discuss creative inspiration, the highs and the lows, what it's like to work with a collective, and what happens when acting and music collide. Oh, and UFOs and meatloaf. So buckle up, it's keeping receipts. I was getting kind of used to the darkness anyway. How do you describe yourself in as is and in a professional context? How how would you define it? Um well these days I would uh if someone asked what I did, um I would say I'm a musician and a performance artist. Um, however, I could probably uncomplicate that by just saying I'm an artist, but I guess the reason why I say I'm a musician and a performance artist is that if I am speaking to someone who has a particular interest in one of those things, then there's kind of, you know, like a, like a a way in or Mm. something with, with that person. Um, so it's a little more defined, um, but the thing is with calling myself a musician, I still kind of uh, cringe with that. It does make me feel uncomfortable because I'm not a trained musician and I came to music quite late on in my life. But then at the same time, I was trained in acting and I I can't call myself an actor with, uh, you know, confidence either because <laughs> I'm not actively acting. So Isn't it's it like... Weird? Why yeah, do we struggle? Good. Every creative that I speak to really struggles with the labels. Yeah, I think it's because um, unless unless you sort of have some something going on at that particular moment in time where you're defined by your actions and your outer world, it's uh, it's very hard to kind of cling to a title, and uh, there is an inconsistency to it. But also with any creative practice I mean some people are really prolific and they're just like doing music and performance all the time but personally well I wouldn't say like procrastinating but you know I'm watching um rubbish tv and you know looking into UFOs and extraterrestrial (laughs) life and stuff because you have to remember that that all in some weird way uh, feeds your practice Mm. so it's like yeah you have to realize that that is all a part of it yeah well I, I really want to come back to the UFOs later on. Like yes, a... <laughs> please, please. Yeah, please, can we? <laughs> Have you always been a creative person, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I... I mean, as far back I as I can remember, um, I was always performative and dramatic. And even when I was angry as a child, there used to be... I used to invent some kind of extended drama about that sadness mm. or madness. And my brothers always used to say to me, you're just acting like this is all drama and stuff. And I was like, no, I'm not. But actually I did kind of, I got carried away often with um, sort of false narratives in my head and kind of played those out. So, you know, inevitably I, yeah, I thought the best place to put that was into acting, um, which was what I pursued when I was younger. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, I'll share something that I don't share with many people. Um, uh, I've always had sort of dual conversations with myself, um, kind of playing several different people. Um, And I know that people do that in their head often. They kind of play out roles and parts. But as far back as as I can remember, and and I still do it, I will sit in front of a mirror and play several different parts and kind of talk in strange voices and um and actually like we'll come to it a little bit later because of the person I work with being my brother um a lot of in between making things uh, my brother and I also do that kind of talk in strange voices and play out yeah almost create like mini dramas and stuff so yeah I've always always been creative is it like a sketch when you say, because I have a horrible <laughs> habit of going into voices, which is, yeah. I <laughs> I use that, I use my job as an excuse and I say that I'm practicing characters, but actually it's rubbed off on my boyfriend and we will do whole skits <laughs> in the kitchen yes. while we're cooking dinner as different characters, usually from Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's a mad thing, isn't it? And actually, the more you say it out loud that you do that, people are like, oh yeah, I do that too. But, um, and then other people are just completely stranged out by it um yeah don't understand necessarily but yeah it, it's uh, no we would definitely do that and and equally I would do that by myself and I won't even know that I'm doing it until I've sort of caught myself out if you're doing that your whole life you know yeah uh, in in the comfort of your own space you're not even aware that you're doing it it's when you do it in front of someone that doesn't know you that well or like a new yes. friend and yeah. then you sort of have to explain it and it all gets a bit a bit <laughs> a bit weird yeah, but they, i find it very yeah. useful actually that sort of yeah, mishmash yeah. of real life and creativity and always thinking about mm-hmm. characters has it helped mm-hmm. your performances oh hell yeah totally yeah i don't i don't i don't know in what way but i know that all of that play it's playtime isn't it like mm. it's it's not even adult playtime it's just playtime it just is something something that changes like over time and I, you know i i'm not sure how that is fed into things but i'm 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 absolutely um i'm absolutely certain that it has um but also i i think also when i i did a, a masters in performance making in goldsmiths about two years ago now and one of our tu- tutors graham miller who was amazing um he said that if you have an idea and often ideas do come out of that play he's like write it down immediately and i had never done that in my life or never even thought about doing that no, i, I write do down that. ideas immediately that the second best they come into your head just write a tiny note somewhere and and you will just like hug yourself for doing that because you will always forget those ideas they never come back to you even if you promise yourself must come back to that must remember that you never do i'm reading uh liz gilbert's big magic at the moment and she talks about ideas she personifies ideas and she talks about them like visitors uh, that they will mm. come to you and they will hang around, but they will get impatient and they will leave if you don't pick yes. them up and do something with them. And I just, yeah. I, when I was reading it, I was like, oh gosh, that's like really twee. <laughs> and then I've thought yeah. about it loads since. And I'm like, oh, that yeah. idea is visiting me. I have to just make a little note. <laughs> I know, I know, because it, it's shocking how much they disappear. And the weird thing is, is you don't even realise they disappeared. Mm. You know, it's, yeah. Which it's, is even harder. 
Totally. It is really, it's so much harder because you're living in total ignorance all, of all these like amazing ideas that you once had that mm. you can't remember. <laughs> and so with the goldsmiths thing, actually, I didn't know that you'd, yeah. um, that you'd done that. Well, what was it like returning to education a little bit older? Not, it was, I'm making you sound really aged. You're not, no, 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 I'm, you're not 18. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be 31 on the 8th of August. Woo, very, 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 very proud of that early 30s. Um it was honestly incredible. I think that a lot of people that I was studying with, I mean, it was a kind of mixed bag of people, people coming at it from, so it was performance making the course. And uh, uh, there was fine artists, there was performance artists who had perhaps like a, an established practice already and kind of audiences, uh, people who are more interested in experimental theatre, mm. like a really mixed bag and a very sliding scale of age groups. Um, and I think, yeah, I think some people had issues with how the course was run and, and, and feeling like there was a lot of things missed out. But perhaps I was kind of on cloud nine with it because I, well, firstly, I'd never had a university experience because drama school is, I've learned, extremely different to uni experiences. Um, I, it felt amazing to have a library card not that I used my access to the books that much, but it just just felt really cool. And then also, I mean, the, you know, these these masters are quite expensive, and you kind of have to, you know, work work your way with them. But the way the way to get your the way to get the most out of you know doing doing anything, I guess, or a creative masters is using all of the facilities available. Yeah, so, totally. you know, using the studio space, using the fact that you have te technicians that can show you how to do lighting design, and um, yeah, yeah, all these other tangential arts mm, that you mm. I would feel so I don't know anything about lighting. That's a great example, yeah. but yeah. I know that it actually works with sound in yes. production so actually having an idea of lighting would be fantastic for my kind yeah. of future plans but I yeah. think I would be too shy without and, and actually to just go and do that but what uni gives you the chance to do is just dip in yeah. a little bit and no one's yeah. judging it's less scary mm -hmm. that's it and and you know it doesn't perhaps mean that you're going to you know know how to operate a lighting desk but it might be that is, is something you consider in the future that is of importance and value. And therefore, maybe one day when you're in the position to, you might employ someone who is really good at doing lighting. And I think it kind of opens up your mind in that way that you see a value to all of these uh, other skills that people have as well in mm. order to make a performance or whatever it might be. Has um, it improved your confidence at all? As in, you said at the beginning, mm. I can't call myself this because I'm not trained. I'm not trained in this. Oh yeah, I forgot. So I did train in performance <laughs> art in some ways. Yeah. So yeah. totally. Do you think yeah. it's important then? Do you think, because I have this conversation, again, my boyfriend is entirely self-taught in what he yes. does and he read a lot of books and he learned from online and all of that stuff. I what am also, he he's a developer, so he okay. codes, he writes the internet. Oh, wow. That's all I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> he writes um, the internet. <laughs> yeah, he just, he writes the internet. But I am also self-taught, but I have really struggled with that. And I've sort of toyed with going back and getting a master's and that kind of stuff to see if that would help yeah. with my imposter syndrome at all. Do you feel like it aided you in confidently, I mean, you started by saying you couldn't call yourself a, a performer. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that if you're in a position to go and do a master's um, and it's not 
financially going to screw you over and, and maybe you know if the money isn't there for a person or whatever um yeah i i i would highly recommend it yeah for, for me it was great and it I, I think it did build my confidence, but it built my confidence through education. So there's things that I've learned about performance from doing that master's that I will never forget. And um, and they're, they're, they are structures and like almost codes and rules that I completely stand by. Um, and I don't falter around certain things. You know, there's things there's things that I've learned, which yeah, which is so interesting because actually, what that is doing, the creative process, which to me is a very difficult thing to quantify, and actually, mm. when you learn processes and when you learn rules and kind of strategic, just things that you can pull from your toolbox, I yeah. have no idea how much of a difference that would make with mm. character acting, for example. I'd never thought about learning the rules to that or you know learning the best things to enhance my performance but actually that's what that's a great example of quantifying Mm. um what previously was quite a messy experience for me I think yeah 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 I think um uh I remember having this thought a little while ago that um like our, our our world is kind of boundaried isn't it like you know there's there's certain things I can't do like you know, I, li- I live under the roof that I do. I have a certain amount of money. There's people that I see. There's kind of, there's boundaries to my existence. And I think even with, you know, performance or character acting that you have to create those same parameters, obstacles and boundaries in this kind of virtual reality, just the same as mm. there is in your life as well. And then it opens up this like expansive play somehow, which... Yeah, it make it makes a lot of sense, but it's 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 something definitely I was taught from from someone else. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I could have conjured that myself. I was getting kind of used to anyway. I wanted to talk about uh, mental health. If yes. you're comfortable with that, <laughs> yeah, of course I am. Yeah, totally. In the lovely trailer for this podcast that you you kindly lent your voice to a very long time ago and you said there would yeah. be no mental health without creativity <laughs> which I thought was very very wise <laughs> but can I, you I elaborate of, on it a bit yeah sure I kind of have no idea what I mean um I was <laughs> I have I was, clipped uh... it from a longer clip as well and now we're just taking it completely out of context no no I I mean I what did I mean let me think probably okay so I mean, this might be a personal thing, I guess, but uh, about the age of 22 or 23, I went through some very significant changes in my life. Um, I would say very significant changes. Um, uh, I ended up doing a a program which really went very deep into just how it is I live my life and all of the kind of habitual behaviours I had picked up since childhood in order to protect myself like Mm. we all do. And I guess what I mean by that is that since that point of embarking on a a journey of change, um, that's been quite constant. I've kept changing, 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 changing. So there's like my new commitment to life post sort of 23 years old was to uncomfortably smash down all of the belief systems that I hold very dearly to me. And that 
is on a constant rotation like that doesn't stop you think it does because you think you've reached the holy grail or like oh my god i've understood everything now i know how to live this blissful perfect life and then lo and behold like a couple of months later those belief systems you picked up you need to smash them down again and i guess what i meant by that there would be no mental health without creativity is that um you don't you don't have much control tangible control on mental health there are things that you can do but equally you have to kind of um there's an abstraction to it and it's kind of it's hard to put your finger on but what what i've what i've found is that uh, via creativity any sort of mental health struggles or revelations i go through there is there's always an output for them and they they're always of use in some ways um whether that's sharing it or it being input for a piece of work or whatever like it it always finds its way in somewhere so i don't know if i've explained there would be no mental health without creativity but i guess i'm saying that like mental health is creative yeah that they're interlinked no I think you absolutely have explained that it was a pretty curveball question but I think (laughs) I think that you're so right though and actually channeling whatever's happening in your life good or bad into a creative process is what a lot of artists find very very useful Mm -mm -mm. yeah totally yeah they do and um yeah it's quite amazing when it's done in a a non-literal way um but then also I yeah I say that from you know, perhaps a more kind of privileged position of not having to be literal about some of the struggles that I'm facing that, mm. you know, I can kind of sit in abstraction where, you know, others might feel like they need to be literal because these are such important things that um, need to change in the world as well. So yeah, there's kind of, there's different ways, I guess, to express that and uh, yeah, and different privileges around it as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. with that in mind then, what what mm. hinders your creativity? If, if there are challenges that actually you can channel into your work and your art. Yeah, yeah. What, is there uh, anything that switches off the tap? Is there anything that, that just really stops it dead? Yes. Um, okay. So I want to say procrastination, but that's mm. not an answer to that question. Uh, underneath procrastination or laziness, which is a word which we should just abolish, um, is fear. And my auntie Ruth said to me when I was very young that if you're, you know, fearful, um, especially when it comes to, you know, doing something creative or whatever, um, that you might be afraid of failing, but equally you're afraid of success as well. Yeah. And I think both both kind of, um, they cause a change. Like if you failed at something, like stuff has to change. If you've been successful at something, then something has to change. It's just like fear of change. I never lived those two, actually. That's totally true. Yeah, it's really scary. And it is, it is that, that fear of change. I'm, I'm working a a bit, a bit like yourself. I've, I've, you know, I've set up, um, a, a studio space at home at the moment due to, um, uh, lockdown and all. Um, and I'm working on an album at the moment and I've noticed my terrible behavior. Literally, I'll be working for hours on the vocals for this album and I will come to the last bit where I literally need to fix one thing and I get up off my chair, I go outside, I'm fiddling around with something. I'm just, I'm so anxious, but not in like a, not in a way that I can identify 
And I just have to like grab myself and say, you go back in there and you finish that last bit. You know, it's like, mm. it's sort of like you, you don't deserve this <laughs> sort of thing. Interesting. Because I, I can really relate to mm. the final hurdle being, I always write on my to-do list, like finish doing this. And then I'll yeah. come back to it and I'm like, it is finished. You've just yes. added it to a list to make sure that it's not fully complete and out there in the world. You've added oh finish God. it to a list, but it's it's done. And then I have to have a word with myself and be like, it's done. Like, just <laughs> just let it go. Just that is finished. Don't add it to another list. That is such a good example. That is so good. Yeah, I've definitely done that as well. When it's down on the list, it's incomplete. It doesn't yeah. need to be put out there. It's like it has no output. Um, yeah, the the other thing I was thinking that, that hinders me is... Um, uh, definitely a low self-worth but yeah. you know that's like a creeping thing that uh, comes across all of us um, and um, and also uh, perhaps I'm sharing too much but um, sometimes I find it hard to believe that I exist um, and I believe that feeling to be kind of like it's a bit of a depression. You know, if you don't feel like you exist, if you feel like sort of existence is, is a bit of a veil and, um, you know, you feel like you're in the matrix or something. Yeah. And you, you separate your kind of living self and your actual self. I've read I've read about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I think what what happens with when you have feelings like that is that inevitably you go well, what is the point in anything and um and it, it it can lead to just sort of yeah inaction just mm. kind of sitting still and uh not not even a sadness um not a deep sadness just a meatloaf i call it like meatloaf moments you know just meatloaf <laughs> <laughs> it's just meatloaf um, like stodgy <laughs> Stodgy. Okay, so meatloaf is from um uh it was Lars von Trier's film Not Nymphomaniac. Oh, I really um, liked Nymphomaniac. I think that might be oh, the one I've seen. Jesus, so good. Oh um, no, I saw Antichrist as well, which is alarming. It's Antichrist, and there's another one. They have some of the same people in it. It's about the two sisters, mm. Kirsten Dunst and um anyway, one of them suffers greatly Melancholia? from depression. Melancholia, that's it, exactly. She's sitting at the table and she's very depressed. And the idea is her sister is like the antithesis of her, and together they kind of make you know, the true detective, the perfect person or whatever. Um, but she's very depressed sitting at this table and uh, meatloaf is her favourite dinner and her sister cooks it for her. And she says this meatloaf tastes like ash. And since then, I've just thought, I've kind of associated meatloaf with depression or feeling like you fully exist. So <laughs> a bit of background on meatloaf. <laughs> has, it, has it got... Has that happened at all through lockdown? Has lockdown affected the frequency of meatloaf? Um, oh, I love that question. <laughs> um, for me, no, no, no. Um, oh, lockdown, weird. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very, very weird. I mean, wow. Um, no, it hasn't actually. I I've, I've felt pretty connected during this time. Um that might have something to do with not performing and might have something to do with not having to work several jobs. Um, and it might have something to do with feeling less anxious uh, because I'm not socializing as much. Um, so I've actually felt pretty connected during this time. Wow. Uh, that meatloaf thing 
kind of comes more for me uh, when I'm tired, um, when I've overexerted myself, um, when I'm sort of antsy, looking out to be sort of chemically changed or outwardly changed in some way because I'm feeling uncomfortable. Uh, so, yeah, I would connect meatloaf more to really, really, really busy times. Yeah, that makes sense. That's so interesting. And lockdown has been so different for different people, obviously, because we're all different, but yeah. different personality types. And that's yeah. it's fascinating what you say. Are, are you an introvert? I know that's kind of a very specific Ooh. label for a really broad mm. feeling. But if you feel less, if you feel like seeing people less has mm. actually given you a peace... Whereas mm. some people feel the opposite. Do you do you class yourself as an introvert? No, um, I would class myself as an extrovert. I think mm. um, I definitely um, am changed quite easily by friends and the people around me. So if I'm in a low mood, someone actually could potentially take me out of that, um, or that I would I would lean on people in order to you know, start on a journey of coming out of that. Um, I guess that makes me extrovert. Um, I probably should look into that, though. I've always been a bit confused because people are often the same, right? Oh, they're, they're, they can be two things at once. Yeah, but, totally. This is what I mean. Yeah. I think splitting it into a dichotomy yeah. actually isn't very helpful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, like you would, you would immediately think, oh, if someone if someone performs and is constantly performing, then they must be a, 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 an extrovert. But at the same time, I absolutely love my alone time, like mm. so much. I dig it so much. Um, I could not be without that. I get really, really sick of uh, socialising. It really, really tires me out. But I love it all the same. Like, absolutely love it. But it does make me really tired. Yeah. I've yeah. always considered it to be like, I love I love socialising. It doesn't do much for creativity. The alone yeah. time is sort of the yeah. space in which uh, more yeah. inspiration and, and creativity can happen. I don't know if you feel the yeah. same. No, I do. I do feel the same, definitely. Um and it would only be with my music practice that I would almost consider alone time with my collaborator uh, also alone time as well, you know? I was getting kind of used to the darkness anyway. So how does it work? You're in, you're in a band mm -hmm. with, just with your brother. Yeah, I'm in a band with my brother, Dominic. And uh, we... When did this start up? Yes. Yeah, so when I was sort of coming out of doing the whole acting thing, uh, I had quite a bitter end with acting, um, but it was a great end. It was like, it was that bitterness I needed. Um, I think one of the last projects I did, I was like, the lighting's rubbish. I don't like the script. I can't deal with this. Like it, it, what, what it was telling me, my dissatisfaction with working so collabor collaboratively with people <laughs> was that, I was just getting so bitter about it, feeling like I could do this better. Yeah, that was a negative thought, but it was just showing me that I wanted more agency, that I actually wanted to build my own little worlds myself. I wanted full control. Mm. And it's that point where you realize, I want to work alone or I want to manifest projects and I want to be a part of projects that is one person's vision and everyone else there hasn't been invited in to bring their particular skill to serve that one vision. I really believe in 
no, not necessarily one person's vision. Like it might be two, you know, two people who work collaboratively together. But I feel like, like one one stream of thought almost, and everything around that is there to hold that up. Because I feel like when you're working, you know, really collaboratively, starting from scratch with a group of people and stuff, that often it can uh, it can depress the 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 integral message is a message that is at the heart of it yeah or dilute yeah. it is how i sometimes think of it like it kind of so That's like it. with a film the yeah. editor is amazing but it isn't the director the writer yeah. has provided the script but isn't the director like the overall yeah. vision of the piece does sort of lie and i think should on the shoulders of one person yeah yeah me too me too and i, I keep seeing that again and again that though those are the things that really kind of i connect with yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, there's there's a strong difference between watching something that, yes, is um, is it is a thought is a kind of thought or a story that's been nurtured by one person and their journey rather than you know this yeah this kind of diluted thing. Mm. So with Dominic, do you find that to be possible because you yeah, are two you're two minds? Yeah, we're two minds, and we we started probably about maybe four years ago or maybe five years ago I decided to scrap acting and I said to him can we make some soundscapes for a performance piece and he was like yeah sure and Dominic had been I mean he Dominic is a musician um he plays bass he plays banjo he plays weird instruments he can play lots of things um but he he's been fiddling around on you know knobs and synthesizers for like forever, <laughs> um, and making you know music on um, a music production software on his computer and just playing around with things for a very long time. So that was all within his grasp, and so we got together to just like take a little recording, improvise some sound together, which I'd never done before, but I was like, this sounds very exciting. So my mum and dad were off in Ireland. He got a couple of synthesizers together. He set me up a, a microphone and a little reverb unit, which I still use. Um, and uh, and we had a jam and it lasted, I'd say probably for about four or five hours straight. Wow. And we recorded it onto a cassette tape. <laughs> and I was like, this is the, best fun ever I love this um and I have to return to this and equally he felt exactly the same so we kind of we sat in the realm of an improvised band for a while did like gigs sporadically and then started to over time build up I went through lots of different loopers and lots of different you know vocal modulators until I found the right um setup for my voice which yeah, probably took about a year, a year and a half or even two years to come to. And um, and the same for Dominic as well, because it's analog electronic music. It's like you really, really, really have to learn your kit. And, uh, and it took a long time for us to do that. And then eventually we started writing music and then gigging more. And, and, and now we kind of sit in a position where we play in a rehearsed way, but at the end of every track, we often go into more of an improvised state because what is the point in playing analog electronic music if you can't improvise with your machines? Um, and yeah, working with my brother is it's amazing. Like it's really good. I, I, uh, I think there's probably a bit of telepathy there. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah. Well, I wondered, because if this is all improvised, yeah. I always feel this about jazz musicians as well, Yeah, in that you have to read the mind of the other person in order to kind of yeah. 
stay with each other and you guys do it yeah. so well so seasick insults is that the yes. title of the yeah 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 the ep yeah that's yeah, the great. title of the ep yeah but it's also a long form performance piece yes so we did um well actually there there was um there's a, a show we did just before lockdown with east london cable which was a live set that actually includes music from the album that we're working on now um and cc consults is just one track from the ep but there's often long extended dramatic preludes to tracks where it gives me an opportunity to um, use some of the more performance art texts I've been working on. Um, yeah, it kind of all congeals together. Um, but ultimately, it was lovely doing that live kind of multicam set with East London Cable um, because it's closer to what I want to do. I love the idea of um, electronic, analog electronic music and and poetry, but kind of sitting in a a domestic space. I love domestic spaces and I love the kind of the unexpected in a domestic space. Um, mm. So as time goes on, you know, I'd love to do performances with a, an armchair and a, a little light at the side and a, a kitchen space. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know? no, I totally yeah. know. And having <laughs> yeah. watched having watched the Seasick and Salts video that is on YouTube, yeah. should anyone want to go and find it, but we'll we'll post yeah. a link to it as well. Um, Thanks. It, it, it's an amazing... I mean, it is. You say you left acting behind, but it, no, it feels—you didn't. It feels like you're no. very much portraying a character, and it is fitting in with your music. And there is this kind of brilliant merge. I mean, you said you said merge, but it—it's perfect. Yeah. It's a perfect kind of combination of all of these all of these things that you love. And I just think it's—it's it's hard mm. to do that. It's hard to get mm-hmm. everything to fit together. Yeah, I yeah, that's a kind of my main struggle, uh, and. Um, you know, I, yeah, I want performance and music to come together, but at the same time, I also don't want to push my other practice on what my brother wants out of music. Mm. But the thing is, I think he's all for that, but it's almost like I need to forget about doing that and it will just, it will just happen. I've had friends say to me at points in my life, like Finn, you just need to focus on one thing, but actually somewhere kind of, in my guts I know that I can't let go of either and eventually they will come together I just yeah I have a lot of faith that they will yeah and I think I think that is a really uh, that is a real struggle for people actually I know lots of people with two practices or two or three things that are really important important to them but I think eventually they do find a way to come together I was getting kind of used to the darkness anyway what about the so East London Cable the yes collective is that the correct term yes they they are a collective yeah what does that mean what I see the word collective I'm like what does that what does that mean yeah what does collective mean I guess it's a group of people to coming together who have a collective vision or outlook about what they want to do or what they want to change um, it's a group of people who I think support one another um or come together with um like common interests and i think also i think perhaps collective collectives have become more popular um because it's a pretty harsh world well out out there for in in london because i think that uh, our artists are not 
valued in the same way that they might be in other places. Mm. Um, and I think you're probably stronger together um, for getting funding or getting projects moving. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like that's what a collective is. I'm a, a part of a collective myself called Synaptic Island. Um, we do a show on Resonance FM every Saturday and we host uh, open deck sessions for learning the CDJs and listening sessions. And again, we just have a shared interest in music and wanting to create a space for female, non-binary and trans people um, to kind of like perhaps come to DJing for the first time and have opportunities to like play out to people um, because yeah, the, the the DJ world is pretty male led. So it's mm. it's nice to be kind of teaching each other these crafts rather than always being taught by a man how to use the decks. Oh, um, that sounds like a whole episode in itself. I'm just like, I've got so many, so many questions, so many more Loads questions. Of avenues. <laughs> but do you find the collective mindset helpful? Because from what we were saying before yes. of almost too many, too many cooks uh, in the kitchen, yeah. but does that, so that, does that not happen with collectives? Um, I think that you come up against different personalities and I think in a collective it's really important to, uh, maybe, it's not a dirty word, but you've got to try and remain professional and almost institutionalise yourself. There needs to be boundaries and there needs to be rules. But the important thing in collectives, I think, depending on what you're doing, so like, you know, if we're providing a platform for people to practice CDJing, I am more than happy to take on the admin role with that and work together with a group of people. But when it comes to if, you know, if there's a collective where it's a group of artists who all have their own creative practice, then, then you know, it's the duty of that group to, to let that person breathe with that and that you can support one another with that. But as we were talking about before that, yeah, it's kind of singular visions are really important within that. I yeah, think it's just, yeah. I think there's like, it's so amazing to be able to kind of talk about creativity in that sense and to be able mm. to just understand what it means to let someone breathe with it, for example. Yeah. But yeah. that same group of people who raise an eyebrow when you do voices in the kitchen uh, yes. and you're being those characters, do you think, that, do you think there's a judgment that comes with, creative collectives and that comes from people who really just don't understand it and the second part to that question is do you think yeah. you can evolve into loving it if you're from the camp who finds it a bit weird and a bit I don't know just a bit out there and you know doesn't really get it do you think you I... could become someone who does get it or do you think there are just different two different types of people no I I don't I don't um I I, I feel like that it's really important to remember that um, lots of people won't be exposed to the, to the things you are within your community. I mean, you know, the last few years we've heard echoed the echo chamber, the echo chamber, mm. the echo chamber, like that is real, is really real. And I think rather than sort of judging those who judge, uh, it's a matter of um, remaining open and remaining clear as well about what what you're doing, and um, it's it's just like we're 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 so we're so unused to what is going on outside of our community. We have no idea sometimes, um, and it's not yeah. So, I mean, also you know, I, I it's really important for me to not kind of um, 
frighten people with using language that I know they won't understand, you know, mm. um, like it's really important to use sim- not, I don't want to say si- simple language. No, but I know what you mean. Not dubbing it down, but just no, a- accessible, yeah. I suppose, accessible yeah, language. Just a- accessible to everyone. And I also need that as well, because I've been in situations where people are almost talking like rhetoric, jargon, like sort of pseudo intellectual stuff, because I, I guess that's what is going on for them. But I, I don't know. It, sometimes that has made me feel like um, I'm really on the outside of something. Mm. And, and I feel like sometimes it is a way to push people out. But my way to combat that myself, because there's often a lot I don't understand when it comes to um, sort of the intellect around um, that can kind of come out of artistic communities and stuff to say, uh, sorry, I don't understand that. Or what does that word mean? And uh, yeah, there's a huge um, vulnerability in that, isn't there? In, yeah, in sort yeah, of yeah. having because you don't. I swear it's imposter syndrome again, but you, you almost yes. you like they'll find out. They'll find me out that I'm not good <laughs> yeah. enough to be here if I ask a question. Totally, Beth. Someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, excuse me, what are you doing here? You need to leave. <laughs> you didn't train as a musician. Why are you playing here tonight? You know, <laughs> oh, It's just such rubbish. And no one's thinking that. Yeah. I, just, I don't know, just the older no, I get and no, the more no, I really don't. try and just te- just shut my brain up at that point yeah, just be like listen yeah, nobody's yeah. questioning that you're meant to be here except you so just that is it just get on exactly no one probably cares that much as well do no. they? and they're probably all worrying do. about themselves they're not looking of in your course lane of course they <laughs> are of course they are they're probably walking around thinking oh god someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say i need to leave <laughs> um okay great well to finish up i just wanted yeah. there's a lot of resources out there that people can go to to hear your stuff but also these collectives your own collective do you want to just give give the spiel on where people can find more of you because I find you just so inspirational oh thanks so much Beth I find you really inspirational as well (laughs) and um uh so yeah I really want to plug East London Cable who are a collective um based in Liverpool Street who've been so supportive of me we're we're trying to get some funding to do a performance project of mine I've wanted to do for ages called Nathan Subs um and also just before lockdown we did a multicam live set which was based in Rebecca's flat so it's sort of a domestic space and it's quite performative and you can find that on East London Cable YouTube channel and you'll find us where UH uh, live set at East London Cable um, and also like follow East London Cable and go onto their website they did a great show at Tate Modern just before lockdown um, everything is like just before lockdown these days <laughs> it's like just before we should the come before. up with an abbreviated um, <laughs> thing for that and um, we released an EP a little while ago, uh, which is up on Spotify. The vinyl can be bought on, uh, well, don't go to Amazon, but Bandcamp and stuff like that. It's called Seasick and Salts um, by UH. And uh, what else? You're, I was just fascinated by your own collective that focused on non-binary trans oh, women. Yeah. Getting in. That was that just stood out to me as something that I'd not heard of either. So send, send people yes. that way too. Uh, definitely. So Synaptic Island, if you go to synapticisland.com, we're a collective who platform DJs and people making new music. We do we do radio shows every week on Resonance FM. And when things start up again, we'll be offering 
free workshops on the CDJs in Corsica Studios. So you can hear yourself playing out with the subwoofers and the massive PA system. Believe me, it's amazing. Uh, so hopefully when you know things ease up, we'll be starting that back up again. And we host listening sessions with universities and galleries um, around the UK, and we'd love to do more of that. Uh, so that's synapticisland.com, and we're on Instagram and and all of that. And my Instagram is uh, uhlive, with two Vs, by the way, um, for uh, my band. So busy, so much going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you say that, it's a pretty that was episode six of Keeping Receipts. Thank you so much for listening and a huge thanks to Fanula Kennedy for offering her wisdom. I really do encourage you to seek out UH, that's Fanula and her brother Dominic. You can find them online or maybe even live when we're back to the wonderful world of live music. If you or anyone you know have some creative work or wisdom that you'd like to share, then drop me a line to keepingreceiptspod at gmail.com and you could be a guest on the next episode of Keeping Receipts. So until next time, I'm Beth Davison and this is Keep. We didn't talk about UFOs. Oh, maybe we should. Maybe we should a little bit. What's going on with the UFOs? It's all real. Like, it's all real. And I cannot believe it. I, it's it's completely baffled me. I've I've made my flatmate crazy. Thank God my brother believes me. Um, and the people do believe me or it, but... Um, yeah, I've just become quite obsessed with it recently. There's a there's a bit of an uprising right now. There's a lot of documentaries, a lot of people, ex-military, um, ex-CIA people coming forward who have worked on particular projects and they're all saying the same thing. What? And it just makes you think that, I mean, there's so much information out there. Re- really, there's a great documentary on um, Netflix called Unacknowledged, but... Yeah, it's, it's all happening. A lot of people are showing face right now as an insurance policy uh, because there was Bob Lazar who came forward in the 60s. And since he came forward, until he showed face, he was absolutely hoarded, like his life was absolutely destroyed. And he still regrets coming forward about everything that he did. But there is a tremendous amount of information out there. And I think there's no better place to hide the truth than in broad daylight. However, UFOs might exist, but also we really need to look after our own people and there are things we need to sort out, which a good friend pointed out to me as I was banging on to them about <laughs> UFOs. They were like, okay, but like, what We got all these us? other people to take care of. <laughs> exactly. And we got a virus to figure out. Like, yeah, okay. A virus to figure out. And yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, there's so much. And you know, much, just so... mass inequality and huge Ex- problems. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty nasty to each other. And, um, but anyway, I think the UFO stuff I don't want to go off on a tangent with it because um, I could really, really go there. <laughs> I was getting kind of used to the darkness, sunny 